Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 on the AM dial. 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas, 1240 KIUL. Welcome into a good Saturday morning. Man, talk about some rain. Talk about some storms over the past couple of days, huh? Maybe, just maybe, we can work our way out of this drought that we've had over the last year, year and a half, two years or so. I'm sure the agricultural community is relishing in this new rain. I, I mean, and I enjoy a Kansas storm like anybody else. Had a, na- a late night last night, driving around around midnight, and was really enjoying some of the lightning storms I was seeing coming across the uh, fruited plains. It's a beautiful time, it's a beautiful place, and it's a great place to be right here in Wichita, Kansas. Welcome into the program, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We have a big show lined up for you today. There's a lot of issues going on in Kansas. We have a great uh, couple of great guests on the show as well. Hour number two, Tony Mativi. He is the director for the Kansas Bureau of Investigations. We'll chat with him in hour number two. We'll get some updates on the investigation that's ongoing right now. Now, he can't talk a whole lot about the case, obviously, because it's an active investigation, but it's an investigation nonetheless that I want to get an update on. And we have to get the latest on what's uh, regarding the white powder. Now, I'm not talking about the white powder from Washington, D.C. in the White House. I, I am talking about, however, the white powder that was left at uh, different uh, envelopes of state legislators just a few weeks ago. What's the latest with that? What do we know about this situation? And where are we at with the investigation? We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some fentanyl, human trafficking, other issues going on in the state of Kansas, and crime from the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. So we'll talk about Tony Mativi to kick off hour number two. At the bottom of next hour, we'll talk with Vanessa Whiteside. She is uh, from right here in Wichita. She wrote her latest book, 100 Things to Do, in Wichita before you die. You can also find her blog and her podcast and all the other information at OneDelightfulLife.com. Also on her Tweety at OneDelightfulLife as well. So we'll wrap up the program having some fun talking about things to do across the state of Kansas and right here in the Wichita area. Programming note for you as well. Starting next week, we are going to start getting as many candidates on the program as possible. Many of them heavily focused on the Wichita mayoral race, which is going to be You know, it's going to be pretty big, going to be huge, going to be bigly, as Donald Trump would say. So if you have any questions specifically for some of the candidates, let me know and let's talk about it. We're going to try and get as many of them on as possible. We've got about three of them lined up, four of them lined up. Uh, we got a few more we're going to try and reach out to and see if we can't get on the show, because hopefully we can get all of the candidates on the show and talk about their platforms what they want to do if they potentially come mayor. Now, I will preface this by saying that uh, trying to get all of the candidates on will be tough because I highly doubt that current mayor, Brandon Whipple, will be coming on this program. He's more than welcome to if he chooses to do so, and we will reach out to offer and extend that olive branch for him to come on the program, but I highly doubt that he's going to. He blocked me on social media after I tagged him in an advertisement to be able to rent a large dumpster after the incident where he went and cut everybody off and yelled at a police officer for not being allowed to dump in the public area. So if he needed one that bad, I was trying to help a brother out, man, trying to help him. So I tagged him on social media for a dumpster rental that he can just take right to his house. The convenience is right there. You know, you don't have to go anywhere, buddy. I know that you feel like you're an elitist and that you get special privileges. So it's okay. I was just trying to help you out so you can have the dumpster come to you as opposed to you go to the dumpster. 
so I was trying to help you out, trying to do my due diligence as a good Samaritan to help our elected officials that are giving their uh, daily lives for community service or something. So we have that. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. The big issue today that I want to jump into right away is, which, by the way, you can call about really anything going on uh, here on the local, statewide, or national front. We obviously still have a lot of white powder issues in Washington, D.C., not the same kind of powder that was found here in the state of Kansas with uh, different legislators. But for some reason, we have no clue where that powder potentially came from. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Even though they say now they don't know exactly where that location was where the powder was found. First, they said it was a very public place. That's where the tours happen. Now they're saying that's not the case. It was actually in the basement, and it was not a public area, although some staff of the White House go there, and it was in a certain cubby where they put electronics. And So we're getting two different stories, and they're not telling us anything, and I doubt that we're going to get anything out of that one. On the statewide front, we have a major battle. As officially yesterday, if you've not heard the news, Yesterday afternoon, Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach has officially filed a lawsuit against the Department of Revenue in the state of Kansas regarding Senate Bill 180, that is the Women's Bill of Rights. Now, this is going to be an interesting battle. As you know, Kansas has led the charge on, unfortunately, having to do the first thing that really we shouldn't have to do, which is pass a basic bill that would define biological sex in the state of Kansas, either your male or or your female, based on biological sex at birth, not including hormonal therapies or hormone blockers, not including some type of uh, body mutilation or surgery that goes on, but by the birth at sex. And while people may not want to identify as that gender and, and sex at birth, it doesn't really matter because that's the reality based on the makeup of your body and the chromosomes and what's actually pumping through your veins uh, based on what you had at birth. So you can try to identify something else, but that doesn't change the reality of what realism actually is, of what the reality actually is. So uh, during the bill, and we'll read parts of the bill here in just a minute. We have some calls I will get to in a second. Uh, during the process of this bill, it did not specifically say in the bill that the Department of Revenue and different agencies in the state cannot change a birth certificate or cannot change the state IDs, like a driver's license, but it's implied in the bill. So, of course, that opens up a loophole for the Democrat governor and the progressives in the state that don't like this bill, because remember, the governor did veto this bill, and we did override this bill, but it opens it up for interpretation for the governor to come out just in the last week saying uh, and telling the agencies to not enforce that portion of the bill and to continue to allow the uh, changing of the genders on your state ID. Don't worry about that law. Don't worry about trying to enforce that law. We're not going to do that. So uh, DMV and other places where you go and get your birth certificate or your driver's license, if someone goes and requests the, to try and change their gender on their state-issued ID, it's totally cool. Don't worry about how this law may be written because we're not going to enforce that portion of it that's open up for interpretation. Obviously, that's not how our governmental process works. So Chris Kobach is suing the Department of Revenue, forcing them to say, hey, we kind of passed a law. Now you kind of have to go along with it. Now, for those of you that may remember, this bill was passed again in the House and the Senate. In the House, it originally passed 83 to 41. In the Senate, it passed by 28 to 12 vote, was vetoed by the governor, and then was overridden by her with the veto-proof majority again in the Senate with a 28 to 12 vote. The House even gained an additional vote 
with the A's of 84 to 40 in order to override that one, putting it in place. Now, for those on the other side of the aisle, they're a little bit slow on how our governmental system works. We have three branches of government, even at the statewide level. I know it's a wild concept that we kind of mimicked a little bit of what the federal government does at the statewide level. We have three branches of government. We have the legislative branch that consists of two chambers with the House and the Senate that write legislation that say there's an issue in society. We need to try to address it. We're going to write this bill and we're going to pass it to try and change or fix something in society. We passed it. Now, the governor has an opportunity to either sign it and make it law because she is the executive branch where they enforce the laws. So she can either sign it and be like, yeah, cool, okay, we're good. Or, no, I don't like that, I'm going to veto it, and it gets sent back. Or she can let it sit there, and it just by default goes into law, but with technically yet without her support saying, I didn't sign that one, so there was nothing I could do. Kind of just a scapegoat way for governors to not address an issue that may be politically damaging to them. Now, the third branch, the judicial branch, oversees this process a little bit and decides whether it's constitutional or not. And each one of them have a checks and balance system. Again, the veto is a perfect example. But the Congress, again, has the checks and balance system to override that veto and say, no, 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 this really needs to happen. That process played out, which means this bill is now law, which means the governor, as the executive branch and the head of the executive branch, is now Uh, obligated to enforce said laws. Now, according to kslegislature.org, kind of a summary breakdown of what SB 180, known as the Women's Bill of Rights, actually looks like regarding biological sex definition and the standard of judicial review, saying that it will be looked at in the courts and will probably be challenged uh, on the entire bill as a whole on whether it's constitutional or not, which we're expecting and we're prepared for. But this is also kind of a layman's terms breakdown of what this bill actually means. This bill requires any school district, public school, and any state agency, department, or office of political or political subdivision to identify each individual as either male or female at birth who is part of collected vital statistics data sets for the purpose of complying with anti-discrimination laws or gathering accurate public health, crime, economic, or other data. Meaning, If you are part of society in any way, shape, or form and you pay taxes, if you are part of the public health, meaning you go to a doctor and you need to be identified to know kind of what internally you look like for the doctors to know how to treat you if you have a car accident, if you're part of a crime and get pulled over with a speeding ticket or even if you get arrested for murder or if you have any economic uh, uh, um, Uh, involvement, a.k.a. buying something or paying taxes or trying to get student loans or trying to get some type of grant or trying to get some type of bank loan or any other data, we need to know your gender at birth. Wild concept, I know. If you get caught up in a car accident and the doctors look at you and they're like, wow, they're messed up in the mid-region, we need to go in and see, are they male or female? What are we looking at internally here? I don't know if people are aware of this or not, but things look a little bit different between the two genders. It's a, uh, <laughs> I know, maybe triggering for some on the other side. Maybe, but wild concept that we actually have two genders and that they have a different makeup based on chromosomes, based on the internal makeup of what they look like inside, and the other side just doesn't want to acknowledge that. We also have crazy wild laws to where you can get special perks if you are a woman and you can apply for certain grants to go to college. We also have state and federal grants to where if you are a small business owner, you can also get additional perks if you are a female persuasion. 
But yet, maybe now guys can apply for that pretending to be women. So, yes, all of these things are important. And that is why this summary of the vital stats saying that we need to know what you look like either as a male or female at birth, not physically look at you, but to know and understand what your biological sex actually is, why it's important to have the proper information on your state-issued IDs and your federally-issued IDs to have a proper understanding of who you are as a person and as an individual. That would be implied in said bill with the breakdown of what this bill is intended to do. But because it specifically does not say we cannot change your gender on your state-issued IDs, the governor's like, ah, don't worry, it's open for interpretation, and I'm going to now direct my department, all of these bureaucratic fourth branch of government agencies, the Department of Revenue, the Department of this, Department of Education, whatever, don't worry about that. Continue to change them if requested, if someone wants to change their genders, because, well, it doesn't say that, and it's open up for interpretation. So now Chris Kobach filing that lawsuit against the Department of Revenue, and we'll see how this one plays out. This is how stupid that we've gotten in society. This is how um, uneducated and uh, straight away from common sense that we have come. Now, again, this is not an attack on those that identify as something else. I do not care about what you identify as. I do not care about your personal uh, persuasion for your sexual orientation or sexual preferences and what you identify as. I do not care, but for in order for society to have some type of structure and function the way that we have set it up uh, since, I don't know, the beginning of time, really, then we have to have a basic understanding of what a male and female is. The fact that we even have to say that is a very troubling fact in a first world country where I think people have um, run out of things to complain about and we're trying to find ways to be really special and change the world. So now we've branched off into really <laughs> wild directions because, well, we're a first world country that's just a little bit lazy and we don't know what else to fight for. Three one, Am I right here or am I off base? 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. It is going to be a long legal battle, not just for this lawsuit that Chris Kobach has filed, which, by the way, we're going to be chatting with him hopefully next week. We were going to get him yesterday, but that was the day when he actually filed in court with this one. So we'll get him on the show next week to talk about this. Uh, but we'll see how this one plays out. But then the overall challenging of Senate Bill 180, because this bill, according to, again, the summary breakdown of it, uh, really uh, involves the public sector on how you identify as a male or a female when it comes to athletics making sure that we put men and women in the right prisons or detention facilities in the state, domestic violence centers, you would think would be relatively important for a dude who tries to identify as a female to go to a female domestic violence center when there's a bunch of women who are trying to flee from rape or from assault or from violence, and then a guy is there as well. Might be a little triggering for some women, but apparently the progressives don't care about that because, well, they're a little selfish. Uh, rape crisis centers, same story. Locker rooms in the public area, public restrooms, and other areas where biology, safety, or privacy are implicated in the results of separate accommodations. Basic societal structure that we're trying to dismantle. Remember that whole Barack Obama wants to fundamentally change the United States of America? Well, that's what we're seeing now by just confusing and corrupting the basic structure of how we operate in society. All right, we got some calls on the line. We'll get to you when we come back in a second. Got to take a break. We have a lot to get to. We also have tax revenue numbers coming into the state of Kansas. Governor Kelly claiming that she's the victor on this one as well. All of her great state policies have made all the tax revenue come in on higher than what we had expected in those ex and those uh, uh, estimates for tax revenue. Is it true? 
or is she again just trying to piggyback off of what Republicans have done, even after vetoing a tax cut in the state of Kansas? We'll get all that in more, plus your phone calls right around the corner here on Kansas Talk, right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Good Saturday morning. We got a lot to talk about. Stay here. Five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Good morning to you. Moving through our Saturday morning. It's going to go by fast. There's a lot to talk about, so we'll just fly right on by. But it is open lines to you on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotline. So let's jump right into it here, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Frederick. Hey, what's going on, sir? How are we doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I am living the dream, Frederick. It's good to talk to you again. Yes. Now, I have some legal questions, Andy. Okay. Some serious legal questions. Okay, just because Kansas decides that a man is a woman, does that mean that Missouri has to also go along with it? And does that mean that the federal government has to go along with it? Does Social Security have to go along with it? Do the hospitals have to go along with it? What about foreign governments? What about registration for the, uh, for the draft? Because we still have it, believe it or not. In other words, Laura Kelly can go to a sex shop and get her one of those strap-ons and go down there and change her driver's license if she wants. But that doesn't mean that every every official agency in the United States has to go along with it. So my, my, my question to you is, what about the other agencies? What about the other states? Because there are some states that do not recognize... Uh, official documents from Kansas. For instance, if you're a registered nurse in Kansas, and if you go to, say, Missouri, uh, you have to go before their board and be okay before you can become a registered nurse. So what about the legal ramifications? Yeah, they don't. Those that are trying to change this up and just cause the chaos in the system don't recognize how everything is connected like that and how challenging this is because it's literally a fight everywhere you go. This is that's why you see people snapping at like a video game store where they say, "I'm a I'm a man, I'm not a woman," you know, and it's <laughs> that or "I'm a woman, I'm not a man," or whatever these individuals try to say. It's 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 complicating the entire system because it doesn't make sense when you have to try and tell everyone in your realm around you that, hey, I was born this way, but now I've changed to this, and you have to... That's that's why that's consuming their entire life and their entire identity is because they can't talk about anything else. They have to let everybody know about this change. So you're right. If you are allowed to change your gender on your state ID, then if you try to get a passport, are you trying to do the same thing? And does the state, does the federal government allow something like that? If you get a military ID, like you said, uh, are they allowing... Uh, something like that. So it complicates the entire system. Why? Because the system's not set up for people to willy-nilly change what they identify as on a daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly basis. That's not the way that reality actually works. So the people that are trying to do this don't live in a normal reality of, hey, I may feel a little more masculine as a fem- or as a female that feels a little bit more masculine or is into dude things or i'm a guy who feels a little bit more feminine or a little bit softer or or i'm i have interests that maybe other uh, other women like you know it's and that's fine that's cool i don't really care 
There's nothing wrong with that. But then to openly say, I'm going to completely change my being, that the system doesn't do that. That's not the way we operate here in society. So, yeah, you're right. That's a great legal question. That's, I, you know, I don't know. You know, Andy, it's, uh, I live, of course, I'm, I'm 78 years old. Does that mean that I can go down also and I can be a 78-year-old a China woman if I want to be? If I want to be a China woman, I can. Or if I want to be a mm. black lady, can I be a black lady, then go out to California and sue for reparations and get all the money that well, theoretically, that I deserve? Yeah, theoretically, if you go down that same thought process as they do, then you could. But then that would be somehow culturally appropriating. So you can't change races because that's bad, but you can change genders because that's totally... Uh, acceptable. Uh, uh, apparently, that's part of the thought process, and it should just be common sense to us, right? Frederick, I got to take a hard break. I appreciate it, my friend. Great questions, and you got to love the hypocrisy coming from the other side. Lots more coming up. Stay here. Number one in talk radio, this is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Happy Saturday morning to you. Trying to kick off another great weekend for you. Have a big hour number two lined up. Tony Mativi, Kansas Bureau of Investigations Director. He'll be joining us to talk about the latest with fentanyl, human trafficking, and the white powder that was found in legislators' uh, mailboxes across the state of Kansas after the session of 2023. That is not the same type of white powder that was found in the White House that we have no idea where it came from. That's hilarious. So uh, we'll get the latest from him on where that investigation is and what the latest news is. Also, Vanessa Whiteside will be wrapping up the program with us in hour number two. Uh, OneDelightfulLife.com. You can check her website out. Also, her uh, that's her blog, also her uh, Tweety and social media, at One Delightful Life. She wrote the book 100 Things to Do in Wichita Before You Die. Fun conversation there on different festivities and historical spots and uh, fun entertainment centers across the state of Kansas to go out and enjoy. All right, we have a lot to talk about. We have uh, Senate Bill 180 regarding the Women's Bill of Rights. We knew it was going to be challenged in court in some way. And... Just a little bit different manner than what I thought, because I thought Democrats would be challenging it in court, saying that it's discriminatory to tell someone that they actually have to abide by, I don't know, reality. Not hateful, just saying, hey, you can dress however you want, you can feel however you want, you can walk around and identify, you can live your life however you want to, but under the, you know when you actually communicate and actually work with other human beings in society, then we recognize that there's a structure. And in order for society to actually function, that structure needs to be upheld. That is understanding what a man and woman actually is. It's a very complicated discussion. I know it's a very complicated concept to actually understand, but we'll do our best to try and educate you in some way, shape, or form. Don't worry. Uh, Welcome to it. The Voice of Reason and Candace Talk is here to try and bring some reason and common sense to you on a daily basis. But it's not being challenged in the way that I thought it would be because the governor apparently thinks that she has the power just to interpret it however she wants to and then just willy-nilly go out and choose to enforce or not enforce based on her own prerogative instead of allowing the legislative and governmental process to play out by Congress passing something. She vetoes it because she didn't want it, understandably. Okay, the legislature overrode that veto, which means it is law which means now as the executive branch, you follow 
the law. You're not above the law. You're not a king. You're not a tyrant. You're not a dictator. I know you'd like to be sometimes, I'm sure, the angry librarian coming out in Laura Kelly, but you're not. And you still have to abide by our constitutional law. That is the fact that you are the executive branch and you execute the law, meaning you enforce it. That also means that the fourth branch of the bureaucracy that is under your purview of the executive branch also has to abide by the law and enforce said law. So if we need the proper biological gender of someone at birth on their state IDs to function for health issues or economic issues or whatever issue it may be in society, the way we function, we kind of need to know what that biological sex is at birth And the best way to do that is the little card that you get to identify yourself when you show it to law enforcement or when you travel or when you try to buy alcohol or when you do anything else that says your name and your address and your age and your gender and your weight and where you live and all your personal information because that's how you identify yourself to other people. I don't, wild concepts here. We are shattering all of human consciousness with our with our great insight here today on the program. But apparently that's being challenged. So where are we at today? Uh, we're in a very sad state is where we are. Let's get your thoughts on it. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Let's go to the phone to your line at number two. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, keep fighting the power, Andy. Fight the power, man. We got we to gotta shake up the system a little bit, I guess. We, we are the wicked wild rebels. Yes, we are. Give me beer or give me death. Mm. Well, you I guess they haven't taken it away. And in fact, we're seeing more adult beverages come into the area. And I, I'm assuming that not very many of our listeners have actually been taking the Bud Light. But uh, Yingling is in the area, along with so many other great microbrews from locally right here. I've fallen in love with my girl brews over the last year or so talking to Davis Liquor Outlet. So I have plenty of adult beverages to go and enjoy. And guess what? When I do it, and I haven't had to do it lately because apparently I look really old now, but I have to show my ID and my ID tells them how old I am and whether I'm a dude or a gal. And they look at it and they're like, okay. And they haven't challenged it yet, but I'm just waiting for it. Well, uh, first, let me say uh, they're here. (laughs) They're queer. And they're coming for our beer. Mm. Well, first, they, Light, I don't know about the beer, but they're but, coming for the children, especially. Well, yeah, they're coming for us as well. But, you know, today, Bud Light, tomorrow, Warsteiner, Dunkel. I mean, come on, man. Uh, uh, I'm trying to, I'm going to, uh, next time I go to Davis, because I'm all stocked up right now, but next time I go to Davis over here, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to see if they, I'm going to pose as a woman see if I can get a discount for women. Mm. So see if they offer a women's discount. Well, see, I was going to say try and pose. If you can, like like Frederick said at the bottom of the hour, I mean, can we just re-identify as anything? Can we identify as, you know, uh, of someone who is black and try to go to California to get reparations? Can you identify as Native American and go get land down in Oklahoma? Can you identify as you know, in Asian and be able to get certain government perks in some way, shape or form. They get very angry when we say those sorts of things because that's, quote unquote, culturally appropriating. Remember the gal that tried to run the NAACP that was not black and she got kicked out. And because even though she enjoyed the culture and she wanted to be black really, 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 really bad, she ended up running the organization that represents, quote unquote, black people in society. And then they found out that she's not black. What was her name? Rachel Dozal or whatever her name was. Uh, And she got Um, she got ousted. 
and she got shamed by that side because she was culturally appropriating them and trying to change her race. So you can't change your race because that's offensive to another culture and another people, but you can change your gender because, well, to hell with women. Anybody can be a woman, even dudes that want to be women, and we're just going to take away the women's uh, records in sports, and we're going to take away women's jobs, and we're going to take away uh, the women's role in society with guys because well, women aren't cool enough, so now we have to have dudes pretending to be women to do those jobs for them. Like, that's a very interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but, you know, the world is upside down today. Black is white, white is black. Except, white's not even a color anymore. If you're a person of color, you can be any color but white because white's not a color anymore. <laughs> can so, I identify I mean, as glow-in-the-dark? Can my, can my, uh, can my... <laughs> You know, I, I was I thought about uh, identifying as black going to San Francisco to get my five million bucks, but you know, that's a good question. You know, can my can my uh, can my Ford uh, can my Ford Ranger pose as a Chevy uh, Silverado? Yeah, see, okay. maybe. Oh. But if it uh, in fact not to not to bring up that battle between Ford and Chevy, but I was going to make the joke and say if you identify as a Chevy, then that would probably increase the risk of you getting stuck in a mud pile or something. I, uh, not that I go down that battle on which one's better with a Ford or a Chevy because I don't care. But I grew up in the Midwest in the auto belt where people love that debate, so I just had to throw that out there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Thanks for reminding me because <laughs> Ford is the only truck for me, man. I mean, nothing else, dude. You know, no Chevys, no Dodges, just Ford. But, just Ford. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, so, so, so the governor wants to, uh, what, she wants to violate the law or something? She's trying to violate a law? She's just, just ignoring enforcing the law. The law says, according to oh, Senate yeah. Bill 180 that uh, was recently passed by the legislature, with the definition of male and female known as the Women's Bill of Rights, the bill says that we need to have every state agency, department, or office, or political subdivision identify people based on their male or female at birth in order to collect vital data across the state of Kansas. How do you identify people based on their gender and for that information? It's through a state-issued ID. So therefore, by default, you would think that we'd have to have the proper biological gender on someone's state-issued ID, which Governor Kelly says that she is interpreting that bill differently and therefore has told the Department of Revenue and others who issue state driver's license or other state-issued IDs that they can go ahead and continue to allow people to change their gender on their state-issued ID because she interprets that law differently, and now we're seeing a lawsuit. Well, you know... Uh, not enforcing a law to me is the same difference as breaking it. I mean, really, what the hell? You know what? What is the difference in the end? So, but it's funny how when the when the law suits the Democrats, they're okay with it. But when it doesn't suit their uh, aims and their goals and their agenda, and they they uh, they hate it. So uh, they just want to. Uh, uh, you know, they, they want to break it or, or whatever. Just not enforce, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, they think it's their purview to decide what to enforce or not to enforce based on their own opinion. We're seeing the same thing in Washington, D.C. with Biden and you know Obama and so many others with the catch and release program and the Im immigration issues where they just choose not to enforce immigration because, well, we want open borders. And even though the laws are on the books saying that you can't just willy-nilly walk into the country, that's okay because we'll choose not to enforce it. It's on the books, and that's my job is to enforce laws. 
kind of like law enforcement, where we don't write the laws, we just have to enforce it. That's the executive branch of the government, either at the statewide level or the federal level. Do your damn job and enforce the laws. And if you don't like those laws, work to get the laws changed, but don't just ignore it, because that's not the way that our society functions. Yeah, well, um, until that day comes, if it ever does, you know, they start enforcing the law again. If they don't, if they're not going to enforce the law, what, do I have to obey it? Yeah, that's the question. I mean, can, I, can I break the law and get away with it? Yeah, you, you can know, just like speed. You don't have to pay your taxes, Sean. You can go out and just purchase that adult beverage without even have to pay sales tax on it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's been a while, but since gas has went back up, time to start running red lights again. Oh, so. mm, there's that. There's that. Sean, I love it, my friend. i got to take some other calls here, but I appreciate that. And you're right, it's a... Uh, it's a very strange world today. I don't understand. I feel bad. Honestly, I feel bad for the younger generation. My daughter, who's nine now, I feel so bad of her growing up. And luckily, I mean, obviously around living in Kansas, thank God we live in Kansas. The fact that we still have some, you know, values and, and common sense and rationale for the most part. I know some are trying to change that, but for overall, especially in small rural communities across the state, we still have our heads on straight for the most part. But I'm afraid when she gets older and she wants to go off to the big city for college or go somewhere else that uh, she's going to have to deal with this. The dating scene going to be atrocious when she gets older because the first question is going to be, uh, what do you identify as compared to what are you really? And even asking that question apparently is offensive because if you're not into girls that were pretending to be dudes, then apparently you're like some type of close-minded bigot and you hate them or something. You're you're a transphobe or something. I don't know. But that's the world, and I feel so bad when she gets into that dating scene. Not that she's going to be allowed to date until she gets married anyways because dad's going to be there holding the gun on the side anyways, cleaning the gun, watching every step anyways. So <laughs> I guess we get to do the screening and the filter as the parents. Or we just teach her how to actually be a responsible adult on her own. Let's go back to the phone to your line number three. Good morning. Who's this? This is Ray. Ray, how are you, my friend? Oh, doing pretty good. Yeah. Hey, uh, Governor Kelly needs to be arrested and perked walked over to a judge where she can be remanded over for breaking her oath. I know that isn't how it's done, but that's what would happen to me. Yeah, if you chose not, again, not to pay your taxes or if you chose not to follow the law that's on in place, I mean, now we fight to try and change laws all the time. And there's some pushback that you can try to do. But at the end of the day, if you're not paying your taxes, if you're not following the law and driving 120 down the road, you're probably going to get arrested, aren't you? Yeah, there's yeah. there's no doubt. And on another note, the uh, college uh, loan scam that's going on with with biden and everybody <laughs> the the uh the, the simple way to fix that would just be have a flat interest rate for these college kids instead of this annual percentage rate mm, that's an idea just, just say hey you're going to borrow eighty thousand dollars we're going to charge three percent flat flat rate yeah. just and that's it none of this piling up you know, these kids can't keep up with that stuff. And the government made it worse when they stepped in and said they were going to help. Yeah. Well, that's the problem right there is you're right. I mean, in in, in school, higher education shouldn't be $80,000. It shouldn't be close to ten no. grand or twenty grand per semester for you to go to school. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. And the reason it got that expensive, like you said, is because government got involved with higher education and then we're 
tenuring professors to where they're not even allowed to be fired or to let go even when the school's trying to downsize or decrease themselves. If there's not enough students going to your department, then guess what? You're not getting funding. You need to downsize and you need to get rid of some professors or get rid of some resources or whatever you have to do and run yourself like any other private institution to where you need to make your budget work, not just rely on increasing student loan tuition rates and then trying to get more government grants. That's not the way the system works. As long as the government keeps interfering, they're supposed to keep us, their job is to keep us off of each other's back. Yeah. But instead, they're on our back. Yeah. I'm right there with you, my friend. I get it. Oh, and by the way, maybe we should get rid of the first two years of college where they say, hey, cool, welcome to college. Now you're going to retake all of the same classes you just did in high school, so that way you don't even start doing your degree work until like your third year of college because we want to try and squeeze as much money out of you as possible. And then you can get your degree in four or six years. Ray, I appreciate it, my friend. we got to take a break. But, yeah, that's a whole other conversation we could spend an entire hour on itself is the higher education system and how screwed up that is. And, oh, by the way, they're raising tuition rates in all these state universities in in Kansas this year, uh, anywhere between 5 to 7%. Wichita State, K-State, KU, all of them raising tuition rates because, well, things are more expensive. And then the presidents of the universities getting, like, half-million-dollar increases on their salaries. <laughs> yeah, so there's that, too. The priorities of the bureaucrats and administrators, right? Lots more coming up. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online, aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Mary's on the line with us this week. Mary, how are you today? I'm doing great, Andy. Had a good 4th of July. Always a great 4th of July and happy holiday to you. Uh, You guys obviously covering a lot of uh, things going on with the community, a lot of festive events going on for the summertime, but we always love to focus on the Fraud Watch Network and all the scams going on out there. And with the travel, maybe with vacation season upon us, uh, many people may have timeshares for different vacation spots, but there are obviously a lot of scams that go along with it, including the timeshare exit scams if you're trying to get out of one. Talk about the latest that you guys have heard. Yeah, Andy, it seems like more people are trying to get out of a timeshare than to buy a timeshare or purchase a timeshare. So um, there are a lot of scammers out there. They see that people want to get rid of a timeshare and they are stepping in and trying to scam people with uh, various real estate fees or or other fees that they might entice people to uh, to pay in order to get rid of their timeshare. Wow, uh, that is very scary. Now, first off, talk about how uh, when you get some of these, if you're trying to get out, which I've heard, like you said, a lot of people trying to do so, how are they reaching out to you? Do they already know you have a timeshare, or is this just kind of like a cold call blast that a lot of these scammers are doing? Yeah, so what they're doing is they're targeting victims by responding to sale ads or searching property records. So they they know that you want to get rid of your timeshare because they see those advertisements. So they're going to either offer a guarantee to get you out of your timeshare for a fee, or they're going to claim to have a buyer available and then ask for real estate sales fees. And last year, the Federal Trade Commission and the state of Wisconsin filed suit against a group of companies who collected $90 million $90 million for services that they never provided. 
So it's really something to be aware of if you're in in the the market to get rid of your timeshare. So we know, you know, getting out of these are very difficult, but when you look for a shortcut and you don't check it out, um, that could cost you more in the end. So we really want people to, if, if they're if they're looking to sell, if someone offers to buy it and there's some extra fees involved, just be wary and make sure you check those out before you pay any fees. Sure. That's some great tips and information because it, I'm assuming if you do pay a lot of those fees, you're either out just that money, but if you put in credit cards, debit card numbers as well, then they have all of that information. You're going to see a lot more come out than what you're expecting. Exactly. You know, the scammers don't stop. They they keep going. Once they get any information from you, they get your money, they want more money. So the more information about you they have and your bank accounts, um, they're going to try to scam you. So Really, folks, beware. Um, and if you if you want to find out more information about this, you can go to our Fraud Watch Network site at www.aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. Or if you've been scammed or you think you may have been scammed or you got a suspicious phone call, um, be sure to reach out and talk to someone. We have an AARP Fraud Watch helpline. And that number is 877-908-3360. And you can talk to somebody and they can help you walk through the process or or help you figure out what next steps to take. Perfect. I love it. On the same front, let's talk about a couple of those other scams real quickly. Obviously, it's still summertime. People are traveling. Are we still seeing a lot of those vacation scams? Maybe the skimmers on the gas machines if you're trying to fill up your gas tank or if you're trying to get an Airbnb or trying to get some other travel expense. Are we still seeing a lot of scams floating around out there during summertime? Unfortunately, we are, um, Andy. Yeah, be sure, you know, when you go to the gas pump, make sure that your your credit card, they're, they're not they're not attached something to the credit card machine to, to scan your credit card number. Um, yeah, like VRBO, Airbnb, be careful when you rent one of those that you're actually getting the property and not on a safe site. Um, so yeah, we all we all have to be vigilant. It, it's, it's out there. The scammers are always trying to get money from us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got just a couple minutes left here. Talk about what else is going on with the AARP. Obviously, you guys have had a lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff going on with uh, different community events and different webinars that you're doing. But as we move through uh, July now, with Fourth of July being over, what's on the slate for the AARP? Yeah, we're really excited to be a sponsor of the Dole Institute. Um, 20th anniversary celebration, and that's going to be this month in July, uh, July 22nd. And it's actually then the 100th birthday, or what would have been the 100th birthday, of our own Kansas Senator Bob Dole. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It's hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial, and our friends out in Garden City, Kansas. What's up? You guys have been getting a brunt of a lot of these storms lately. Massive thunderstorms, tornadoes all over the place. 
that Oklahoma panhandle up into southwestern Kansas, man. You guys are brutal, so kudos to you for hanging in. We need the moisture. Hopefully, you guys are replenishing some of your water supply, especially for the agricultural industry. But, man, welcome into a 1240 KIUL Garden City's news talker there. And, of course, right here on Wichita's Big Talker, Wichita's number one local conservative talk radio program. And it's great to have you along for the ride today. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to jump into the show, we've covered a lot of ground already. The lack of common sense all the way. By the way, I'm also in a debate on social media right now. I usually don't do those. I usually don't. But there is a tirade against apparently some organizations, and I don't know who they are, that are mothers trying to fight for, you know, the education system. Because if you remember, parents that tried to get involved in the education system and tried to run for school boards and start showing up to school board meetings, they're not used to being challenged. No one showed up to that stuff. No one really cared about that stuff. And since COVID, everybody wanted to start saying, wait a second, uh, maybe we should start looking at the policies that the Board of Education is implementing on my children, the curriculum that our children are actually seeing And when we started doing that across the nation, then we had elected officials predominantly on the left side of the aisle that literally called the parents the domestic terrorists and said that parents should not have a say in the curriculum and the makeup of what happens in the public school system. The place where you and I as the parents send our kids for eight hours a day to go get educated so that way they can function in society and to learn how to think and how to problem solve and actually be educated enough to function in society. Pretty wild stuff there, but apparently that's very triggering for those because we shouldn't have a say in that system. Yeah, yeah I know. Kind of crazy. So uh, keep at it because here in Kansas and especially here in the Wichita area, we did very good getting some great conservatives on our school board of education. We're starting to see that turn around just a little bit and maybe we can actually see graduation rates increase a little bit. Maybe the test scores and curriculum increase a little bit. We can have a little bit more say in freedom as the parents of our own children because that's probably the other reason why we're seeing such a big jump in micro schooling, private schooling, charter schooling and everything else across the board. All right, 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. I want to shift gears, though, a little bit. As you know, there was a big story just a couple of weeks ago of white powder that was found in numerous different letters sent to legislators across the state of Kansas. Now, I want to uh, rephrase that just a little bit, or at least let you know, this is not the same white powder that was found at the White House just a few days ago. Not it, not it. A little bit different white powder. So what is that powder? What uh, What is the white powder? Where did it come from? It's currently under investigation from the Kansas Bureau of Investigations, also the Federal Bureau of Investigations and statewide law enforcement. We sat down with Tony Mativi, the director for the KBI, to talk about that issue and so much more going on here in the state of Kansas, and this is what he had to say. Tony, how are you, brother? Great, Ed. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Yeah, doing good. It's always good to chat with you. Uh, the biggest issue, obviously, has been the one that happened just a couple of weeks ago. I know it's an ongoing investigation. I know you can't say too much about some of the active investigative parts of this, but for those that saw right towards the end of the legislative session of this year, we saw numerous different uh, envelopes filled with white powder show up to legislators' homes after the session was over. And uh, most of them, from what it sounds like, went to Republican legislators. I don't know if that's tied in or not. But what's the latest that you've heard, and what can you talk about with this? Well, Andy, you know, you and I visited a little bit about the fact that I can't really talk about investigative details. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but we just don't want to prejudice our ability to uh, catch 
this person or these people yeah. uh, and to have them prosecuted down the road. But I, I can tell you some things about the investigation I think you'll find really interesting. You know, we started getting the calls uh, from legislators uh, about having received these letters on a Friday afternoon uh, over the lunch hour. And we almost immediately stood up a command post at the KBI, uh, and we immediately pulled in a number of our law enforcement partners. And I will tell you that it was an absolutely unprecedented investigation. Uh, for about the next 96 hours, we worked very, very closely with our state law enforcement partners. The Highway Patrol was there with us uh, in the command post at our side from the beginning. Uh, Canada State Fire Marshal, Canada's Department of Health and Environment was instrumental. Uh, we were the FBI, and they joined us in the command post and, and provided valuable, valuable support to us, not only in there, but it, especially in the field. Uh, their agents responded along with our agents in many cases. Uh, there were other federal agencies that got involved with us from the very beginning, and there were countless uh, local departments, either police departments or sheriff's offices, that provided absolutely uh, integral assistance to us uh, during those first 96 hours. It was really an unprecedented response. But one of the things that made it really amazing was it was the first time that we're aware of in the history of our state where we had engaged every single bomb squad and every single hazmat unit in the state uh, involved in this investigation. So whether it was a, a federal a squad, a state squad, or a local squad, every single bomb squad and every single hazmat unit in the state was engaged with us uh, during this investigation. Wow. Uh, that's impressive. And the fact that you guys were able to orchestrate that in that short of amount of time is really impressive. So I, I have to foster you guys and kudos to you for being able to make that happen because it sounds like the recovery of all of these went relatively smooth and quickly throughout the state, didn't it? It did. And, and I just I have to uh, thank and recognize all of the agents out there who worked so hard. Um, you know, that first night they were out, they were responding uh, probably until about four o'clock in the morning. Uh, to pick up all of the letters that we learned on Friday. And then on Saturday morning, when the calls started coming in, again, uh, we dispatched the agents and the teams out. And once again, on Saturday night, they were out until the wee small hours collecting all of the letters that we learned about on Saturday. So we had people who worked so incredibly hard um, that they, they have to be recognized and appreciated for what they did on behalf of the victims in this case and on behalf of everybody in the state. But one of the things that I wanted to mention to you, Andy, is, is – sort of the resource drain that this caused. Yeah. Uh, I think most folks are aware by now that we haven't, uh, we've, the, the authorities that have been conducting the test have determined that there aren't any harmful substances in that white powder. But just because the powder is harmless doesn't mean that this was a harmless offense. And, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. From Friday afternoon until Tuesday afternoon, the KBI was the lead investigative agency in this matter, and then we were supported very uh, heavily um, by the FBI. And by Tuesday, we realized that this investigation had expanded outside of Kansas, and so we sort of swapped roles. The FBI took the lead, and the KBI became a support agency for them. But during that 96-hour period, the KBI was fully engaged in this investigation to the point where it kept us from focusing on other investigative priorities. And how that translates here is 
I can tell you with a high degree of certainty that we missed a load of fentanyl mm. that was being trafficked into our state. So we, we received information that there was a load of fentanyl coming into a particular city in Kansas. We were able to execute a warrant and search that location on Tuesday. And when we got there, we found out that we had missed those drugs by a day. Wow. And I can tell you that the only reason we couldn't conduct that search on Monday was because the KBI was fully involved in this investigation. We had so many resources wrapped up in responding to and collecting and processing these letters. And so there is a real life example of how we missed, like I said, I have a very high degree of confidence. We missed the load of dope and it was because of these letters. And so we have no idea how much fentanyl is out there in the community that we had a realistic opportunity to seize. Yeah. We have no idea how many people will overdose, how many people will die, how many lives will be ruined because we missed that load. And that, I believe, is directly attributable to the person or the people who sent these letters. And we need to have them held accountable for that when they are finally apprehended and convicted and sentenced. Yeah, amen to that. That is devastating, the fact that you guys missed that boat. And you're right, pulling resources away from real issues because of someone trying to be stupid here. Now, you said that the white powder was non-dangerous and non-lethal, which is good news. Do we know what it was? And the bigger question is, is it the same white powder that we're finding at the White House over the last week? <laughs> I don't believe it's the same white powder that was found at the White House. But um, So I haven't received an update since... Uh, I don't. I, the answer is I can't answer your question, Andy. I don't know that we've determined conclusively what the substance is. Uh, that testing was done by another organization, and, and when they're ready to make the announcement, I'm sure they'll make the announcement. Sure. We're talking with Tony Mativi, a Candace Bureau of Investigations director here on Candace Talk. Now, as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong or if we're able to talk about this as well, but it sounded like from the few legislators that I had talked to uh, that had received some of these letters with the powder was that they were addressed from like a local church or someone actually or someplace from their own local community, wherever they were at. This wasn't from one like main place that had a return address on it. Is that correct? So those are part of the specifics that I just can't get into, Andy. Um, What I can tell you is that um, there are a lot of valuable clues out there, and I am very, very optimistic that we're going to ultimately end up apprehending the person or people that are responsible for these letters. I'm very optimistic about that. Good. That is very good news. That's very good news. I know that you're not able to get into some of those details, so I appreciate what you've given us. But uh, going into that story of the fentanyl, I mean, uh, last time we talked, which was about a month, month, month and a half ago, you were concerned about the ending of Title 42 and how much more fentanyl was going to be flooding into the state of Kansas, obviously, since we already missed the boat on one apprehension because of this from whoever or whatever group tried to send out these letters, how many more do you think are coming into the state now? I just I just showed up. I was down at the border just a week ago looking at the situation down there, which is an absolute mess now that Title 42 is over. How much more compared to prior to the ending of that Title 42 do you think is already in the state of Kansas? You know, that's a that's a number that is really, really difficult to get our arms around uh, because we don't know what we don't know, right? I mean, yeah. we know how much we seize. I can tell you that we seize more every single day. Uh, we are getting ready to announce on July 24th a coordinated statewide effort uh, to attack fentanyl trafficking. Uh, we have a great task force or team put together. I'm really excited about the announcement that's coming up and the targeted enforcement that we're going to do uh, against fentanyl traffickers. Um, But I can tell you, as hard as we're working to do enforcement, 
we are not going to be able to enforce our way out of this problem. We have to educate people, especially our kids. We have to educate them on just how dangerous it is to take any pill or to take any drug unless you got it from a pharmacist because we are finding fentanyl on its own, but we're also finding fentanyl laced into literally every other type of drug that's out there, whether it's an illegal drug um, like marijuana or methamphetamine um, or even pills that people take that they think are legitimate, yeah. uh, like Adderall or an oxycodone, um, unless, unless you got that pill from a pharmacist, you just cannot know what's in there. Uh, and, and literally, one pill can kill. The DEA's one pill can kill campaign is not an embellishment or an overstatement. It is so true. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing these deaths all across our state. We're seeing them across every community, every aspect of our communities. There is literally no part of our society that is immune from this poison. Amen to that. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. Now that July 1st had hit, I know July 1st was kind of the start of new laws that were passed during the legislative session of this year. Uh, Are any of those laws that now are officially in effect for the state of Kansas after July 1st, are any of those new laws going to be helping you guys with resources or abilities to battle this in the state? Yeah, so Andy, there were changes effective July 1, and there's sort of two aspects to this answer. Um, First, there are new laws in effect. the penalties for trafficking fentanyl have increased, and they've increased significantly. And we really needed those increases to help hold fentanyl dealers accountable for the damage that they do. Um, but there, there's still a lot of work to do in that regard. We have to change the mindset, not just in the public, but in law enforcement as well. Um, in law enforcement, we have to get the officers that are on the street uh, to understand that Overdoses aren't an accident anymore. At some point, someone intentionally introduced fentanyl into that drug distribution network, even if the user didn't realize he was getting or she was getting fentanyl, even if they thought they were just getting marijuana. Um, By the time they overdose, we know that fentanyl was intentionally introduced into the drug trafficking network, and that's no longer an accident. That's a poisoning. Mm. Um, And in addition to that, fentanyl overdose deaths are not accidental deaths. Those are homicides, and we have to treat them that way. The flip side of that is that is going to result in a huge drain of law enforcement resources. And the other thing that happened on July 1st, from our perspective at the KBI, is the legislature was incredibly helpful to us in this last budget cycle. Uh, They gave us an enhancement of about an additional 11% of our budget about a $5 million enhancement. And part of what we're going to use that enhancement for is to focus on fentanyl enforcement. Good. So those are the big changes that came our way on July 1st that are applicable to our to our fight against fentanyl. Good, good. Maybe that'll help out with some of those uh, for you guys, especially with those resources and that additional money. Last question before we let you go. I know you're a busy guy, and I appreciate you very much. It's uh, Tony Mativi, the state director for the Kansas Bureau of Investigations. And we talked about it briefly when you came on the show just a, a few weeks ago, a month or so ago. But uh, some of the online um, child trafficking or online uh, human trafficking, uh, underage child issues that are going on in the state, will some of that new money and resources go to those cases as well, obviously the biggest one coming out of Parsons that you guys arrested those individuals um, with just a few weeks or a few months ago. It will, Andy. A huge chunk of that money is going to allow us to stand up a child victim task force in western Kansas. 
the pilot program for child victim task forces was in the northeast part of the state. They're located, the task force is located in our Topeka office. This year, the legislature authorized increased funding for us with, with a dedicated focus of standing up a child victim task force in the west region. And then in the coming budget cycle, we'll be asking for money to stand up a child victim task force in the southeast part of the state. And the reason that those those that enforcement of those offenses is so critical is one of the things that we've learned over time is this isn't just somebody transmitting images, right? Although that's what we typically catch them for and arrest them for. What we found when we look back historically at the cases is over 50% of the people transmitting those images of what we call CSAM, child sexual abuse material, over 50% of the people transmitting CSAM have had actual contact with a child. They are victimizing real live children. And that's what makes these traffickers so dangerous. And that's what makes enforcement of these offenses so incredibly important. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that there was so much human contact in there as well. A lot of it, you just hear about just people staying online, but it makes sense, I guess. Now, uh, along with just children, with the ending of Title 42, with more people flooding into the country and with the uh, portation of migrants to even the state of Kansas, is there a concern of just human trafficking in general of both women and children? Absolutely. Uh, You know, trafficking isn't limited to drugs. Um, There's human trafficking, there's sex trafficking. All of that is sort of tied together. And when we have a chaotic border and we have to focus so many law enforcement resources on the, the migrants that are coming over, the illegal immigrants that are coming across, that just increases the abilities of the cartels and the other organized criminal um, uh, organizations to traffic human beings and drugs across the border. That What's happening at the border is not doing us in Kansas any favors, Andy. No, absolutely not. And you guys already have your hands full, obviously, with what's going on. And the whole white powder issue to the legislators is not making that any better. So I applaud what you guys are doing, and it's amazing work, and I appreciate so much of that. It's Tony Mativi, the State Director for the Kansas Bureau of Investigations. Tony, we always appreciate the time, my friend. Thank you for all the great updates. We look forward to chatting with you again here real soon, brother. Happy to talk with you anytime, Andy. Thanks very much. minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. Thanks again to Tony Mativi, Kansas Bureau of Investigations Director. Interesting information. We got a little bit of info regarding the white powder that was left in the state legislature. What we've heard, and from the, some of the legislators that I've talked to on, not on the show, but just off the air privately, had said that a lot of those letters were written with a return address of like a local church in the area or some kind of local place where maybe they vac- uh, they frequent or that at least they're familiar with. So it's kind of interesting how um, that was the return address in all the local areas across the state based on the legislator that received it. So a little bit concerning. We will find these individuals. And the fact that we had to miss an entire major bust on a fentanyl investigation in the state of Kansas because we had to deal with this and collect all of these white powdered letters means that whatever person or group of individuals who my personal opinion, although I do not have any substantiative evidence for this, so this is just pure speculation to throw that out there. My personal opinion 
is that this is probably groups that are upset about this vote about the Women's Bill of Rights or about the Women's Sports Bill or about defining gender in the state. I'm assuming that's probably what caused this because that caused the biggest uprise from the other side of the aisle. And whatever group thought it would be cute to try and threaten elected officials and Republicans that voted for this and that took law enforcement resources away from something major like fentanyl in the state means they need to be found and punished to the fullest extent of the law because they have committed an act of terrorism. And that's unacceptable here in the state of Kansas, regardless of whatever side it may be coming from. But we'll see what happens as the investigation continues, and hopefully we can find these individuals relatively soon. Lots more coming up. One more half-hour stretch on the home front here for Kansas Talk right here on The Big Talker, KQAM. be only one and he's right here this is kansas talk with andy hoosier on wichita's big talker kqam darn right it is on the home stretch here last half hour of the program the weekend with michael brown right around the corner here both on kqam out on kiul and garden city kansas as well both of you guys hanging out today and welcome in. Happy Saturday, kicking off another wonderful weekend. We're halfway through July, and I have to say, I am loving and digging this weather for the fact that we're in July now. This time last year, we had no rain, and it was 105 degrees, and I was not very happy with that. So the fact that we might get into the 90s, okay, I can deal with that. I'd prefer like the 70s and a little bit of rain. I loved, I was driving home last night about midnight, and I was enjoying the Super intense, heavy rain that we were getting and some of the lightning storms. It was beautiful. I love it. And I don't mind this. Continue it on. And uh, we need to refill some of those aquifers, refill some of our water levels. I have not seen a new story on the latest out of Cheney Reservoir and how low the water levels may be there. I know that with some of the rain in western Kansas for our friends in KIUL, And the Ogallala Aquifer, hopefully that's finally starting to get replenished as well. And farmers aren't having to suck more water out of the ground just to try and survive with some of their crops in the field. The fact that we're seeing some green this year is actually kind of nice. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends real quick over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. They were voted last year in 2022 as Wichita's best of when it comes to appliance, uh, appliance repair. They can fix any of it from the old school stuff if you're still making those old school appliances run smoothly. Or even the new technology with all the uh, computers in your refrigerator telling you that you're out of milk or something. It's kind of weird. So uh, they can fix all of those. Don't go without. I know it's hot outside, and if your oven goes out, then you got a problem. If your freezer goes out, you got a problem. You can't keep that ice. And with the warm weather that is coming up over the next week, you kind of need an ice dispenser that works properly with your refrigerator or your other appliances. Give them a call at 316-409-1525. Again, 316-409-1525. You can also find them and follow them on their social media page on Facebook at Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. Talk to Mike. They will help you out. Great partners with us here on KQAM and right here on Kansas Talk as well. We appreciate their partnership very very much. All right, we got a couple calls on the line. We'll also here in just a minute play our interview we have with Vanessa Whiteside. We sat down with her just a little bit ago. She has her latest book, 100 Things to Do in Wichita Before You Die. Going around the state of Kansas and even South Central Kansas here on uh, little tidbits of history and entertainment and art centers and places where you can enjoy 
and see some of the cool stuff around here. You can also find her blog and her website at OneDelightfulLife.com and on her Tweety at OneDelightfulLife. So we'll play that interview in just a little bit. But we have some calls on the line on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. So let's jump right to it, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, Andy. It's Nick. Nick, what's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well. well say a little something about that Wichita thing. My son and I went down there and got on that bike share program or the bikes or whatever. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. $1. fifty for a half hour or whatever, and you can ride down. We went down by Exploration Place in the river, and it was just a nice time. But anyway, that's not the reason that I called. Cool. I wanted to get into maybe a little conversation about officer discretion and discretion and, and the importance of a constitutional sheriff when when people aren't doing things uh, appropriate for the for the county. You know, we, we start with the individual and go up. We don't go from the top down. And whether a, a court gives an opinion about something, whether it be abortion or whatever, the enforcement aspect is the most uh, important part of it. And if there is no enforcement, whether that indiv- uh, the individual officer or person that's doing executive branch person is doing it, uh, you know, who's who's actually going to stop him and enforce it until somebody puts a gun into their face. And so whether you talk about fentanyl or the governor's powers or whatever, uh, or even the cannabis uh, thing that I like to talk about all the time, which I think the fear mongering about the, the fentanyl issue, you know, needs the problem with that is they're going to use cannabis as a gateway to get into the vehicle so they can search for the fentanyl. But that's a whole nother discussion. But just the whole, you know, I, I advocate for the rule of law, um, but I'm I'm not a fascist and I'm not a socialist, so I don't want to go either way too hardcore and say, you know, when, when that officer decides, hey, he's not going to give you a speeding ticket because you were on the way because your wife was pregnant or whatever, having a baby, you know, is that a time when we need the rule of law to stick, or do we allow our officers, our prosecutors, and everybody to give discretion? Now, on the executive side, I'm not sure how we handle that. Our attorney general is suing it, so maybe that would be the most appropriate route. But just an interesting conversation I'd throw out there and see what you had to say about it. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation for sure. And I don't know if you heard the first hour where we talked a lot about the, the lawsuit with Kobach and, and with Governor Kelly. And look, I mean, yeah, the law is on the book and the governmental system played out. You're right. There are different scenarios where law enforcement, you're speeding, you get pulled over. Why are you speeding? Oh, yeah, my wife is having a baby. I'm trying to get to the hospital as quickly as possible, so I need to go. And there's times like that where, yeah, you know what? Life happens, and therefore the rule of law needs to be suspended for emergency situations like that. We're not talking about that situation in our executive branch because the governmental system played out. Legislature wrote a bill. They passed a bill in a very large majority The governor didn't like it, and she used her executive power to veto said bill of SB 180, the Women's Bill of Rights, uh, because she didn't like it. Then the Republican legislature also played their part by overriding her veto. Now, the only other play that could be had, which we're expecting and prepared for, is the challenging of it in court because of a checks and balance system in our government, which means the courts can't get involved, and we're expecting that. I didn't expect it to go this way because then even after the back and forth between the legislature and the executive branch, the governor then just says, well, I'm going to interpret the bill differently so that way I can play the play the game of politics, which many politicians love to do on both sides of the aisle. But I'm going to choose to interpret it differently and therefore not enforce the part where government 
says that they need to know the biological sex of an individual and therefore, by definition, how we find that out is looking at a state-issued ID, so therefore we shouldn't change the state-issued IDs. But she says, I'm going to interpret it differently, so therefore all of the fourth branch bureaucratic agencies under my executive control are not going to enforce that and will continue to allow individuals to change their gender. That is an open and uh, that is an open violation of that law as the executive who's supposed to be enforcing said laws that are on the books just because of a political point. This is not some type of emergency. You know, it's my kids in the hospital, so I need to rush to the hospital. And therefore, I think I can speed a little bit more than usual. This is a blatant. I don't like the law. Therefore, I'm just going to ignore it. And that's not OK. I, and I get it. I get it. And the thing could be that. She wants all the glory. So instead of trying to turn it into this thing about, well, Kansas has taken all this federal money from ARPA funds and this, that, this, that, and the other, that we have strings attached that we have to do it this way, uh, she's just one to take all the glory and say, well, you know what, I'm not going to follow law. And I'm not, uh, I, I do think there are times when civil disobedience is, is needed, you know, whether we talk about slavery or uh, certain agricultural substances being prohibited and stuff like that, I, I'm, I'm great with. But as a standard, I think we de- do need to uh, follow the rule of law. And, and I hope that Kobach uh, can, can get it. On, on the other side of that coin, though, I think it's important for uh, conservative Republicans to appreciate the principles that we're supposed to follow, and limited government, individual liberty, free enterprise, and all that stuff, with said agriculture substances, so we can not be hypocrites when we're trying to talk about life, family, and other things, when they're saying, hey, you, you want to take this plant off the shelf, that, that's just ridiculous, because it isn't killing anybody, or, you know, this, that, this, that, and the other, but it is a law. So, you know, yeah. then it comes down, like I said, it comes back down to the sheriff and what the sheriff of the county wants to enforce, because they don't want to enforce it, they're not going to. And no, I mean, unless the KBI is going to send uh, agents to every county to enforce marijuana laws or gender laws or whatever, it's not going to be enforced. So I, I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate, but, but we have to be consistent on both sides. That's yeah. I, can't, I, I think that's what I'm I, trying to say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We have to be consistent on both sides. And you're right. I mean, if we don't like laws, we have to change them. And look, I mean, there have been times in history where we defy the law to change it, knowing that it's unjust for humanity. Because again, we fall on our basic principles of life and liberty and private property where we defend life, we defend individuals' uh, liberty to live their life they want to as, they, as long as they don't infringe upon other people and the right to private property. And we've defied laws in the case before. For example, slavery. We literally fought a war with part of that war having the major issue being slavery. We've also had the civil rights movement where the person sat in the front of the bus or sat you know, at the table at the restaurant where they weren't supposed to sit at, which was against the law because it was a violation of human rights. That's not what this is, A telling someone that they yes, need sir. to put their biological sex on a state-issued ID so, God forbid, they get into yes, a car accident and they go to the hospital and the doctor's like, all right, how do I help this individual? They need to know science you know follow and trust the science here they need to know the science of the makeup the biological makeup of this person to help them the best way possible if they're unconscious not what they prefer to be based on their emotional state so yeah there are humanity issues where we need to violate laws in order to get the laws changed this is not one of them Yes, sir. I, I agree. I, I understand. It was just how it kind of correlated with the Mativi deal and talking about all this 
yeah. uh, rule of law stuff, and, and 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 I get it. But Andy is always. I wasn't even going to call in, but it just. I was sitting there stewing over <laughs> everything. I said, you know, I, I got to call so, so I can at least go on with my day. But always appreciate the conversation, Andy. God bless you, and you have a good day. Hey, you as well, my friend. Always great to talk to you, Nick. It's been a little bit, so appreciate it. And hopefully, you had a wonderful Fourth of July weekend. Let's go to the phones here again. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Oh, I guess we lost you. All right, give us a call back, 316-721-8255. We'd love to hear from you. But let's shift gears a little bit here, and let's sit down with Vanessa Whiteside. We sat down with her just a while ago, and we uh, chatted with her about her latest book, 100 Things to Do in Wichita Before You Die, uh, great ways to get involved in the Wichita and Kansas area with the little nuggets of history and maybe things that you don't know about the state of Kansas and the city of Wichita. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Always a pleasure to have you along for the ride with us here on at Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Really happy to have our next guest on the program. The question always is, is what can you do around Wichita, South Central Kansas? What can you do just really in general around the state of Kansas as a whole where they say, well, you got to go up to Kansas City, you got to go down to Oklahoma City to go find something fun or some type of attraction or something neat to do. I'm here to tell you that's not true in any way, shape, or form. And there's plenty of opportunities for you to enjoy and to have some fun right here in the local area. Excited to have on the program. She is the owner of her blog, One Delightful Life, which you can find on her Tweety. You can also find on the website at OneDelightfulLife.com and the author of the book, 100 Things to Do in Wichita Before You Die. Excited to have on the program, Vanessa Whiteside. Vanessa, how are you today? I'm so good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. I I know that there's some cool things to do in Wichita, but just 100 things to do, especially in Wichita before you die. I didn't realize there were that many exciting things around here. What uh, what led you down this road to do a deep dive into South Central Kansas? Well, that's a great question. So I was approached by Reedy Press, who is a publisher out of St. Louis, and this is one of their series, the 100 things to do in whatever you know city series. And uh, they said, hey, we heard that you're a local, that you are passionate about um, promoting the things there are to do and, and the people in your community, and um, you have a background in writing. So how would you like to write this book? I said, I'd love it. And you know what? Right now I'm already thinking about another 100 things to do mm-hmm. if they give me that second edition. Wow. There's that many things then. Oh, absolutely. So the book is divided in different categories, and it's really made for all kinds of people. So you may be someone who appreciates history and culture, or someone who prefers, like, on the weekends, go listen to live music, go get something to eat. Or maybe you're someone who's traveling with kids, or you live in Wichita and you have um, you need family-friendly destinations. It covers all of that. So we have more than enough to do in the city and the surrounding area, for sure. That's amazing. Let's talk about some of those things. And you hit it right off the bat. I I love history, and Cowtown obviously is one of those great places we enjoy to go to see. Um, what I like about that is the fact that they actually have some of those original buildings that are actually there. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that that's only one place in the area that actually has some historical references. Uh, yeah, for sure. So one of my, and of course, I love Cowtown because you know it's got the original first house um, of which saw the Munger House out there and all the authentic reenactors and and just all the events they put on out there are great. Um, but I will mention that one museum that I think more people need to check out if they haven't already is the Wichita Cedric County Historical um, Museum, which is in the heart of downtown Wichita. And it's multiple floors. And on each floor are incredible artifacts that are um, displayed in a way that tells the story of uh, Wichita's founding, the people, the makers, the creators, the doers, all the things that um, made Wichita what it is today. 
And that one, you probably need like almost an hour and a half to get through a self-guided tour, but it's definitely worth a stop. Wow. That is really amazing. What about those that may enjoy art, whether it's painting or whether it's music or just the arts in general? Is Wichita home to some type of arts community? Oh, my gosh. Wichita is home to people who love art and celebrate it with public art installations on our Douglas Avenue. If you're someone who wants to not only look at art, but maybe get your hands um, busy doing art, you can do that at City Arts in Old Town um, Square. You can take classes at Mark Arts from culinary to creating pottery to learning how to paint, do watercolor. Um, Art City is known for its celebrated artists, and it's definitely worth checking out. That is amazing. On the same front, kind of, and it goes along with the history as well, I have to admit, just about a month ago, I just found out about it, and I just got to go and see it was the Aviation Museum here in Wichita, which I did not know that we had that either, but that was really neat. Yeah, I am so glad that you did that. Not only did that make my first book, just for its you know, authenticity being the first airport of Wichita Central um, location for air travel from both coasts back in the day. It's, you know, it brought celebrities through here. Some of our most famous people off record have been through there. But it made my second book, which comes out on September 1st. That book is called Secret Wichita, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. And the reason I put the Aviation Museum in there again is because it has been recorded um, that the museum or the old airport um, has paranormal activity. And you can take a tour at night holding a flashlight through the museum. So I thought that was worth mentioning as well. That is amazing. And I love your your other book, like you said, The Guide to the Weird, Wonderful and Obscure, because that's a fun one. Now, speaking of the paranormal, I, we've worked with and we've had him on the show many times, the Wichita Paranormal Research Society that does a yep. lot of those ghost hunts in the area because, like you said, there's a lot of history in the area and there's a lot of weird activity that goes around here, which is kind of a draw, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, sure. There is definitely a group or community of people that seek out these experiences. I myself have gone on them, whether you're a believer, non-believer, however you land. Yeah. It is entertaining at the very least, and you should certainly go on one of those tours. Yeah. Uh, it really ties into the history around here. A lot of those actual ghost hunts are actually out at Cowtown as well because of the history that they have, and they've played some of those recordings yeah. of what they've seen in Cowtown. It's, I don't know, like you said, whether a believer or non-believer, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Yes. So, um, yes, our town has many uh, historic buildings that now house um, things that you can go do. You know, the Scottish Rite building has, um, you know, a wonderful auditorium in it where they host rock concerts called uh, Temple Live. You know, you can go um, to the Orpheum, which is in my first book, 100 Things, and see um, a film series play there or go see a live concert. Um, And you can schedule a tour and go backstage and look at things that you would not believe the architecture, the thought put behind it. Um, this the history is, is worth worth seeing. That is very true. We're talking with Vanessa Whiteside, author of the book 100 Things to Do in Wichita Before You Die. You can also check out her blog at onedelightfullife.com. You mentioned some of the entertainment factor between concerts and different uh, different things. You don't think about Wichita is that place, but like you said, there are multiple different venues for concerts and attractions between the nightlife here, even something like the zoo, whether it's you know a, a night on the town with yourself, with your significant other, or with the entire family. There's lots of fun attractions around here. 
There are. And sometimes I think even as having grown up here, we get into a habit of staying on one side of town or only staying in our routine. And so this book's um, back pages actually include suggested itineraries. So whether you're a history hound, you're trying to locate, you know, the classic food favorite places. Um, maybe you love watching sports and you and you have never gone to a wind surge game. You've never played pickleball. Or maybe um, you're somebody who loves shopping. You know, I included itineraries to get you out of your comfort zone and say, okay, I'm going to check each one of these off. We're going to hit the town and I'm going to do something new. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. How do you think the Cedric County Zoo compares up to some of the other zoos around the Mid-America region? Oh, my gosh. Forget about it. It's awesome. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, we are ranked one of the top zoos in the nation for a reason. And, you know, if you follow their Facebook page, which I love to do because they're always announcing something new or a new addition to their animal family, um, you know, where else can you go to do so much um, in this size city that you might find in, like, a larger city zoo? We have it all. And um, the storytelling that goes behind um, you know, on their Facebook page about how this animal was incorporated into this family and how everybody's doing. I mean, they do such a phenomenal job out there. It's really a fun place to go with your kids or just by yourself and just tour it on your own. Yeah, that is true. Uh, talk about in your investigation, if you've looked at some of the really neat places to really showcase one of the most hidden gems or secrets in the city that we may not be aware of. And the one that I can think of right offhand was I had no clue it was there until I was walking the downtown area near the river and came across okay. the the tied up goblin thing, whatever it is that's down below <laughs> the walkway that you don't know until you're actually there. It's and no one showcases it, no one talks about it. It's just there. Okay. Yes. Everybody asked me when at my book signings or when this book came out this time last year, did you include the troll? <laughs> yes. Which has its own I refer to it as the green goblin, a troll that quote unquote lives under a metal grate. Um, near the Arkansas River, close to the Keeper of the Plains. If you didn't know where to find it, you might just walk over it and not realize it's there. Um, it is the very first entry in my second book, Secret Wichita. So it, it is worth knowing about and discovering on your own. Visit it at night. It's illuminated by green light. It's it's a trip. It's a, it's an art installation of sorts. All right, that's Vanessa Whiteside. That is the author of 100 Things to Do in Wichita Before You Die. We appreciate her coming on the program. Really interesting stuff. You can get her book, uh, her couple of books, talking about not only fascinations here in the Wichita area, but across the entire state of Kansas. Let's slip in one more phone call. Shall we? We've got just about a minute and a half here before we kind of wrap up the program. Oh, guess we lost them. Never mind. That's all right. Not a big deal. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. But that does it for us today on another Saturday. Holy cow. Next week, we're going to be shifting gears a bit and uh, getting into election season. For those that uh, don't know and that don't remember, starting off next uh, August 1st is the primaries for the mayor's race, and there are a lot of candidates for the mayor's race here in the city of Wichita. We're going to be trying to get all of them on this program. Yes, if we can. I doubt that he will, but we will try and get Brandon Whipple on the program as well. I don't know, man. He blocked me after I tried to help him out, helping a brother out, sending him links to... Uh, ways you can rent a dumpster to take right to your house to clean things out. I mean, you don't need to go to the community event and just yell at cops and cut people off, man, and just be rude about it. You can just get one right to your house. Take care of it yourself. <laughs> we'll see if we can't get him on the program. Uh, we got some stuff uh, coming on starting next week. Also, we'll try and get Chris Kobach on the program to talk about that lawsuit against SB 180. That does it for us today. Make sure to check out our nationally syndicated program of The Voice of Reason coming up this weekend as well on both KQM and KIUL. We're back at it again on Monday and on Kansas Talk next Saturday again. 
right here on KQAM. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the moisture. Enjoy the warm weather. We'll see you on the radio.